All right, we're going to be in the book of Psalms tonight, Psalm 127, as we uh, continue our series on the family and the home. We've spent several weeks now looking at marriage and, and the things that God has to say about that, and I got myself in trouble with enough things, and so I'm going to move on to another subject. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but tonight we're going to look at another aspect of the family, the home, and that is kind of getting a biblical perspective on children. And uh, this is, I think, very important because so much of, when we look at what, uh, what God has to say about the family, so much of, of what we talk about is really, um, it's so countercultural. A lot of it is just looking into the scriptures and trying to rewire our brains a little bit from what the world tries to tell us a family is supposed to be and, and what our lives are supposed to be. If we really want to have a home that's pleasing to the Lord, we've got to know what God says about the home, right? And so we try to get into his word and, and read what he has to say. And tonight I just want to get a biblical perspective on children. And whether you're a parent or a grandparent, uh, or maybe the Lord has not yet blessed you with children, that's okay. Uh, let's, let's take a look at what God has to say. So we're in Psalm 127, and let's stand together one last time as we read verses 1 through 5, uh, this whole chapter, Psalm 127. The Bible says here, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Our Father, I pray that tonight you would bless uh, your word. Give us clarity of thought and mind. Help us, Lord, to see what you have to say about children and how we ought to uh, treat them, how we ought to consider them within our lives. And I pray that you would help us here, especially those of us who are parents who have children uh, Lord, to, to be what we need to be so that you can work in our kids' lives and use them as you want uh, to use them for your glory and for your service. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to notice as we look at this chapter, this is one of those uh, songs of degrees. Just so you, you know, in case you are unaware, uh, beginning in Psalm 120 and for the next several uh, psalms there, we find what, what are known as psalms of degrees or songs of degrees. Sometimes they're called a song of ascension or a psalm of ascension. These were psalms, these were songs that were sung as, as, as they were basically climbing the steps to the, to the temple or going up to Jerusalem for the purpose of worship. And these were songs that were sung and, and psalms that were recited as they were about to go and worship the Lord. I find it fitting, actually, that within so many of these psalms of degrees or songs of degrees, you'll find references to family and the home, children, and wives, and so on and so forth. Why would that be? Well, I think it's important because as we consider worshiping the Lord, this is something that should be done together as a family. As we come to the house of the Lord, I think it's good. I love to see families sitting in church. And we've got some, you're sitting together. We've got some that are kind of spread out. But you're in the house of the Lord together. 
And the truth is that there's no better uh, commonality to have with your family than to be in the house of the Lord and worshiping God together. This is a, this is a good thing. It's a profitable thing. You know, most, most families have things that they enjoy doing together. Maybe they have a, a family game night that they like to do or they like to take a vacation to a particular part of the world or there's some hobby that they partake in together and, and that's kind of the thing that bonds them together. But I believe that the Lord would have us to, uh, to uh, really have our, our common ground found right here in God's house worshiping and serving the Lord together. In fact, I've heard before kind of this idea that, you know, I don't have time to serve God because I'm so busy with my family. Can I just challenge you to maybe rethink that a little bit and work on serving God with your family? Uh, include your family in the service of the Lord. Do things together. Worship the Lord together. So here we find one of the songs of degrees that happens to be really all about family and really raising children. And I want you to notice that he says in verse number one, he, he says, except the Lord build the house. Now, often when we read in scriptures, when we, 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 in the scriptures about houses, we're not talking about a physical structure. I'm a, I'm a carpenter and I'm going to go out and I'm going to build a house. But we're talking about a household, a family. And he says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. This is an expression of our dependence, our dependence upon the Lord. Notice he uses an illustration. He says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. So as, as he's made this statement, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He's going to go on. He's going to give two illustrations of futility. He says, except the Lord keep the city... The watchman waketh but in vain. Now think about this. Back in, in ancient times, uh, there, most of the people, obviously, it were, were uh, farmers. They were agricultural type people. And they would have fields and things outside of the city. But for the sake of safety, they would live within the walls of a city. You know, there's strength in numbers. And they would come and they would, uh, at night, they would walk into the city. They would close the gates to the city. And they would there in that place sleep and, and, and have their safety. And, and for additional security, they would have in those cities watchmen. Those watchmen would sit uh, up on a tower somewhere where they could look out over the walls of the city and see for some distance and make sure that no one was coming to attack the city, that they weren't going to be surrounded and wake up uh, to be under attack. And that watchman, his job was to basically be overnight security so that the city could sleep at peace knowing that there was someone watching and if there was any danger approaching, he could alert them to that danger, call them to arms, and they could come out and protect themselves in their city. So there's this watchman. But notice he says that this watchman, really, if he, if he is there and he even sees danger coming and he wakes people up uh, in order to prepare them to the battle... Unless it is the Lord that is giving them their protection and safety, it's all in vain. And maybe you've got locks on your doors and a security system, and maybe you sleep with a, uh, with a gun safe next to the bed, and you say, you know, if someone uh, is really determined to break into here, uh, I've got ways of trying to keep them out. I've got a dog maybe that will alert me, and, and if, if, if worse comes to worse, I've got a way to defend myself. And I'm thankful for all of those things, but I want you to know that they're not foolproof, are they? And there are people with all of those measures of safety that have been harmed and even killed. 
Why? Because ultimately our trust and confidence is not in the things, our own abilities to keep ourselves safe. It's in the Lord, isn't it? Look at, uh, we're in, in the book of Psalms. Hold your place here, but go over to chapter 33. Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, in verse number 16, he says here, There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. So there's a, again, we have a king who has a great army. But his army isn't his protection. It says a mighty man is not delivered by much strength. Verse 17, and horse is a vain thing for safety. Now again, go back in your mind to ancient times and consider how much safer would you feel having a big army on your side? How much safer would you feel having horses and chariots and weapons and mighty men and strong men, you would feel pretty secure. But notice he says, and horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Then look at verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. What is he saying? It's not horses and it's not armies and it's not strength and it's not weaponry that keeps us safe. Ultimately, it's the Lord. It's the Lord that gives us protection. It's the Lord that gives us safety. I'm thankful that I can go to bed tonight and trust that God is watching over me. But if the Lord isn't watching over me, all of my efforts to try and keep myself and my family safe are in vain, aren't they? So there's an illustration there in Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Look at verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. It's, it's a vain thing. We could call this worrying. Have you ever had a a problem, an issue in your life, uh, something that was just kind of weighing you down. You were stressed out. You were unsure what was going to be. Maybe there was some problem at work you couldn't figure out how to solve. There was some issue going on within your family. Maybe it was in a time of waiting. You were waiting for some test results to come in from the doctor. You were waiting for a phone call from a loved one to hear that everything was going to be okay. And, and maybe because of this, you, you were losing sleep over it. I mean, you were waking up early, trying to figure out what you were going to do. You were laying awake at night and, and worrying and struggling with it. And you know what the Bible is saying here? That's a vain thing to do. How many of you can say, I'm a worrier, and it's a good thing that I worry because it always solves my problems? Has anyone had a problem ever solved by worrying about it? No, because we aren't in control. We would like to think that we're in control, and we don't like it when we feel like things are out of our control, but the truth is, things are out of our control. Jesus said, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? He, he said that you can't make one hair of your head black or white. We can't change even little things, and yet so often we stress and we worry about big things but we need to understand it's in God's hands. And so he, he uses these illustrations. He says, that, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And it's a vain thing for you to rise up early and to sit up late 
to eat the bread of sorrows. It's vanity. In other words, it is vanity to try to take control of your circumstances because what you really need is for God to be for you. If you want to be safe, it's not that you need a better watchman and better security and better weaponry. It's that you need the Lord to be watching over you. And if you're worried and stressed out and struggling, it's not that you've got to sit up late and, and rise up early and, and struggle and wrestle with something. You need God to do for you. We, we just gave, gave a, a list of prayer requests, things we need to be praying for. These folks are not people who need some kind of answer or a better doctor or a better medicine. What they need is for God to do something for them. Now, it may be that God will do that through a better doctor or through a better medicine, but what I'm saying is, the need is for the Lord to intervene and to work. And anything else is vain. Would you agree with me? If God does not work, it is in vain. You say, what does this have to do with the family? Look at verse number, uh, verse number 1 of Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Just as vain as it is for someone to trust in the strength of a, of a watchman and, a, and a, an army and in weaponry and their own security, as vain as that is, as vain as it is to sit up late and to rise up early and worry and struggle and stress about things, as vain and helpless as that is, so is any effort to try and build a house apart from the Lord. And folks, we can, as we go through this series on the family, I, I can try to put tools in your hand and, and, I, and I can try and show you what the Bible says about raising children and, and, and building a household, but the bottom line is we are dependent upon the Lord to work. Do you know what the greatest need is, parent? Do you know what the greatest need is for your children? It's not for you to read all the parenting books and figure out exactly how to set up the routine and, and here's what we're going to do and here's how we're going to deal with bad behavior and here's the best way to educate our children. What you need is for God to work in the lives of your children. I'm not downplaying those other things. I'm not saying that they don't have a place. I'm not saying we don't put in effort and, and give our best. I'm just saying unless the Lord is building our house, we're laboring in vain. If it's not God, listen... I have seven children. God has blessed me with seven children. I am thankful for them. I love them. I, I'm not a perfect dad by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to do right by them. And, and I, try, I try to do my best. But friend, I, I am so obviously aware every day that what they need is not just for me to be a better dad. They need God, my Heavenly Father, to work in their lives. The greatest need that my children have is to come to salvation in Christ. And I cannot do that for them. Oh, I can teach them the Bible and I could lead them in a prayer. I can do all these different things, but I cannot save their soul. That's a working of the Holy Spirit in their life to bring them to conviction and understanding and, and, and to save them. That, that's something that God has to do. And I'm totally helpless when it comes to their salvation. Beyond their salvation, I, I want to see God work in their lives in such a way I, I don't just want, I, I don't want just good kids. 
I, I think I, I know how to raise good kids. But I want godly kids. And I am totally helpless when it comes to making them godly. That has to be the Lord that does that. It has to be God. And so he, notice this expression of vanity. Look at these first two verses. And he, he says in verse number one, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. That's the first mention of vanity that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. There's a second mention of vanity. Verse number two, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late. Three times in these two verses, he says these things are vain. And just like trusting in your own security and ability, and just like trusting in your worry and, and, and struggle to figure something out, just as those things are vain, it's just as vain for you, parent, to expect that you're going to be able to build a house that glorifies God without the Lord. Because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We are dependent upon God to do a work in our homes. And I hope that you know that. I hope that you pray for, for God to work in your family and in your home. I, I, I hope that, you're, that you put more effort into praying for your family than anything else and seeking the Lord and His guiding hand and His help in raising your children. And then we come to verse number 3. And I want you to see what God says about children. And again, this is so countercultural in so many ways, but look, he says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Look at verse 5. Bless, or happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. You know, you know what the Bible says here in Psalm 127, 3 and 5? It says, children are a blessing. Children are a blessing from God. Did you know that God loves children? And one of God's greatest blessings in life is to give us children. That is a tremendous blessing from God. Again, this, why, why do I say it's countercultural? Because society today, especially in our nation and others as well, but especially in our nation, society tends to look at children as a burden rather than a blessing. They see him more as a problem, more as an obstacle. And that's why you see so many people, in other words, or, or for example, waiting to have children until they've got life kind of figured out. You know, it used to be that people got married pretty young. I got married young. I got married too young, probably. People used to get married young, they used to have children young, and you know what they would do? They'd figure out life together. Now you're seeing people, they're waiting to get married till they finish college and get a career and get established, and then once, once they've been married, they, they, they want to wait a while before having kids until they're really established in their career, and, and a lot of times you're seeing people have one, maybe two children in their mid to late 30s, and that's about it. And, and I'm not saying, if that's what God leads you to do, I'm not criticizing you. Your decisions, that's between you and God. I'm, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I do think that our society has influenced us to think that somehow children, you know, they're a problem. They get in the way. And I just want you to know, that's not what God says about children. They're a blessing. God's blessed 
my wife and I with seven of them. I'm thankful for that. But you know that society often looks at families like ours and thinks it's irresponsible to have that many children. And boy, there's something wrong with that. You wouldn't believe the comments that we've gotten, some of them tongue-in-cheek, some of them fairly serious. Well, do you know what causes that? Do you, do you know that there, there are ways to prevent that? You know what I've asked them before? Which one of my children would you like me to give up? I'm thankful for every one of them. God, God has given us seven children. Now listen, we thought we were done having children. We had five boys, didn't think we were even able to have a little girl, finally got our little girl at number six, and we were like, okay, we're complete, we're done. And, and that wasn't just because of that. There were some health reasons and things. We just, we just thought we were done. And we were both content with that. We were both at peace with that. And then, surprise, along comes Philip. And let me tell you something. That kid is such a blessing to me. I can't imagine life without him. God blessed us with a child. And I wouldn't trade him for the world. And so this idea, this concept that somehow children are a burden, they're an obstacle, this, is, this may be culturally acceptable, but it's contrary to Scripture because the Bible says that children are an heritage of the Lord. They're a blessing, and if God has blessed you with children, you ought to be thankful for that. I want to show you tonight that God often gives children as, as, a, as a promise of blessing and as a fulfillment of blessing. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis 12, the Lord here through Abraham is going to call him out to be a nation. His descendants to be a, a nation, the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Genesis 12 Verse number 14, notice it says this, And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, that's the wrong verse. Where am I looking here? Let's go to chapter... Well, let's look at verse number... We're in the beginning of the, the chapter. I don't know what I'm doing here. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And he says, I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now think about this. God had said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a nation. He's 75 years old. He doesn't even have a child. But this was a promise that, his, that, that, that out of him was going to come a nation. There would be seed, children given to him. Let's go forward to chapter 15, verse number 1. Chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, 
no children. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. I love this promise, this covenant that God makes with Abraham as he says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a nation. Abraham says, But Lord, you haven't even given me any children. There's a, a, a servant born in my house that's going to inherit all of my goods when I die. And he said, No, no. I'm going to bless you with children. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then he said, I want you to go outside. I want you to look up at the stars. Just look up. You ever gotten out on a really clear night with no light around, looked up and seen the stars? More stars than you can count. Some of us in the middle of the city with bright street lights, there's more stars than we can count. But man, you get out somewhere on a clear night and you look up and you just see stars, innumerable stars. God said, I did that. And I'm going to bless you with offspring, with seed that are going to be more than the stars of heaven. That's an incredible promise. That's an incredible promise. What was he saying? I'm going to bless you with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. This, this was God's covenant to Abraham, a blessing. Go forward to the book of Deuteronomy, if you would, chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. This promise has now been fulfilled. God gave Abraham two sons, Ishmael and then Isaac, the son of promise. And out of them, he had many, 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 many descendants. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse number 10. Look what it, the, Moses says here. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. But then look what he says, the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as ye are, and bless you as he hath promised you. What's he saying? It's a blessing. Having more children, more descendants, this is a blessing. This is often how God blessed people. Why? Because God delights in children. He loves children. We, we might look at kids and say, oh man, they're... They're a headache, they're a hassle. I want you to notice God has never, ever made a mistake in giving a child. Go over back to the book of Psalms, but Psalm 139. Psalm 139. You see, people think sometimes, well, this, this child, they were a mistake. It's possible, it's very possible that some of you were unplanned. Anyone here named Oops? Middle name, perhaps? You may have been unplanned, but you were no mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. Psalm 139 and verse 14, David says here, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. 
and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. You know what he's saying? God, before I was even fully developed in the womb, you looked upon me, you loved me, And you wrote in my book all my members. You know, there, there are people out there today that are being told this lie that a, a baby in the womb isn't really a baby, it's just a fetus. And oh, you know, life doesn't begin until whatever stage, you know. Oh, when the heart beats or when they're fully developed or sadly you know, not until they're able to live on their own. We understand all of these arguments break down. Did you know from the moment of conception, a child has its own DNA distinct from the mother? The heartbeat begins early on, like 13 days into gestation. And from, from the very beginning, the Bible says before that body is even formed, before that baby is developed, God has looked on that child as an individual, as a soul, and loves that child. Notice he says in verse 17, How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. God loves children. And no child is a mistake. Oh, it, it, it may be unplanned. And, and I don't discount the fact that there are children that are, that are conceived in terrible circumstances. And there are children that are born into terrible circumstances. But friend, know this. God makes no mistakes. And God loves children. God loves children. Go with me to Matthew 18, if you would. I just want to show you this a little further. Because it doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what God says and what he has shown about this. And I just want to say to you, if you've got a child... You're expecting a child. You ought to thank God for that. God loves them. He protects children. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 1. It says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child... The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever or and whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So in this passage, Jesus says, okay, if you want to know who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he calls over a little child. He says, I want you to Look at this child. First of all, if you don't humble yourself and become as a little child, you're not even going to be saved. Did you know before you can get saved, you've got to humble yourself? You've got to be willing to be humble before God and say, Lord, I, I'm nothing. I'm just a, I'm just a child. Before I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have any ability. I don't have anything to offer you. I just need you. He said, you humble yourself and become as a little child. But he said that that same person who's like this little humble child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He said, oh, by the way, the one who blesses one of these little children blesses me. To our ladies who work in the nursery and have to deal with my kids and 
all the other kids who probably are troublemakers, and, and I know it's a kind of a thankless job. I just want you to know you're not just serving others in the church, you're serving the Lord. And God says by blessing them, you bless Him. But then He also says, if, if you offend, if you offend one of these little children, He said it would be better that a millstone were hanged about your neck and that you were drowned in the depth of the sea. You'd be better off dying a horrible death than standing in judgment for causing offense. Look at verse 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels, isn't that interesting, their angels, it's like God has special angels designated for children Did you know your children have their own angel watching over them? Angel or angels, I don't know. Watching over them. Their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Friend, I understand we live in a world where there are horrible things done to children. And man, it's tragic. There's coming a day that God's going to set all of that straight. And he's pronounced very severe judgment on those who cause offense, cause harm to little ones. Why? Because God loves children and God delights in children. Do you see, folks, if you have children, God's blessed you with one of the greatest blessings that this life has to offer. He loves and delights in children. He protects children. By the way, this is why abortion is so wicked. This is why child abuse is so wicked and grievous. Because God protects these little innocent children. And friend, there's judgment coming. There's judgment coming. So we see that children are a blessing from the Lord. God loves and delights in children. And then as we go back to Psalm 127, I want to I want to zero in on something tonight. Notice it says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, verse 3. And the fruit of the, the womb is his reward. Can I say to you that children are a gift from God? In other words, can I can I put it this way? It's God who chooses to give us children. In other words, this is another thing. It's not in our ability and in our power. Can I challenge you to go back through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and read all the times that the Bible says that the Lord opens the womb and the Lord closes the womb. Did you know that the number of children you have is God's decision? Now, I I say that to you tonight because there are families who never consider God when it comes to trying to plan the size of their family. There are people out there who think, you know, I just want one boy and one girl, or I want four kids. And, and this is what I, you know, you know, my wife wants three kids. I want five. We'll compromise at four. Whatever the case is. 
can I just say to you, you ought to really include God in this decision. <laughs> it's the Lord that opens and closes the womb. And the truth is, not everyone can have children. And to those who can, you ought to be thankful that God has given you that ability. Pastor Smith just preached over the weekend here, I think Friday and Saturday, a conference called the Lonely Road Conference, and it was specifically designed for families that are not able to have children. You know, that's a painful thing. When there's a, a lady who's, who's barren and not able, and, and if God has given you that, that ability to have children, you, you should be thankful for that. You should say, Lord, thank you for blessing me, because not everyone has that blessing. By the way, though, if, if you are one of those who's never been able to have children, it's okay. God knows that. God is the one that opens and closes the womb. And you can trust him. You can trust him with that. It's, it's, it's God's choice, in other words. We need to leave this in the hands of the Lord. I'm not saying that there's never a time to make decisions and, 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 and plan ahead. And there's some sometimes medical reasons and, and other reasons that we might, might make a decision to say we're not going to have more, whatever the case is. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number 5. He says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Now, how many is a quiver full? How many of you bow hunters out there? How many arrows do you fit in a quiver? Usually? Anyone? Seven. Most quivers hold seven arrows. Now, does that mean you need to have seven children? Yes, just like me, you need to have seven children. My quiver is full. I'm right with God. Most of you aren't. All right. No, that's not it at all. When we look in the scriptures... There's significance to the number seven, isn't there? It's a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. You know what he's saying? Blessed is the man, happy is the man, who has the number of children that God has given. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So God loves us. God loves children. He blesses with children we ought to see them as, as, a, as a blessing, as a gift from God. They're an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. But I want to show you also their potential. Look at verse number 4. He says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. The picture of a mighty man in Scripture is, is one, uh, he's a, it's a soldier who is seasoned. He's highly trained. He's capable and he's strong. We read of David's mighty men and the things that they could do. And this was an elite group uh, of men who were set aside, set apart for specific tasks. These were the special forces of the day. And now the Bible is likening the children of the youth to arrows in the hand of a mighty man. These are the weapons that are to be used in the battle. What does that have to do with children? Friend, I want you to know that for those of us who know and serve the Lord, we need to see our children not just for the blessing that they are, not just for the, the, the fulfillment and the joy that they bring to our lives, but we need to see them as the, the potential that they have to be servants of the Lord and to be used for the glory of God in this world. 
We are living in what I believe are the last days. If you know your Bible, and you, it doesn't take a genius to look at the, the world around us and, and just be honest and admit that we have some really rough days ahead of us. Things aren't going well. And I know many Christian people who kind of have this idea, this attitude that, man, maybe it's just not good to bring children into this world. And don't think for a minute that I'm not concerned about the future because I know the world that my children are going to grow up in is very different from the world that I grew up in. And not necessarily in a good way. And there are concerns, but I want to tell you this, that if not for our children, what is the hope for the future of our nation? It is possible that the kids who are sitting in this room may be the, among the very few who will proclaim the gospel to their generation. Who will stand for truth and right in a dark world. I know parents who are afraid to encourage their kids to follow the will of God for their life because they're afraid that maybe God will call them to a country uh, where they're going to have to go and they're going to have to serve in a place where it's dangerous. Friend, if not our children, who will go? Listen, I don't want my kids to ever be in danger. I don't like that thought. I think of Brother Stephen Trell, the missionary who joined us in our missions conference from Baghdad via Skype. And how he sat, he's right there on that screen back in October, talked about the dangers that were all around them but their confidence in the Lord. Right in the middle of a war zone, here they are serving. I think of the challenge that that was to me and how convicting that was and the fact that when we said goodbye, that was the last time we would talk to him this side of heaven because within a couple of weeks, he was killed. Living in danger. Can I tell you something? Brother Trell has no regrets. By the way, his wife and his children who are still alive, from what I understand, they have no regrets. This life is not the end. This life is only the beginning. And there is no greater privilege and honor than to serve the Lord. And yes, even to, uh, to, to, to be in danger and to give our life, if necessary, for the cause of Christ. And while I don't want my children to be in danger and I never want them to be harmed and I never want them to suffer, if the Lord would so choose to use them to give their life for the cause of Christ, what better way to give their life? What better way? As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Go with me to the minor prophets over toward the end of the Old Testament. The book of Amos, if you would. Amos, right after the book of Joel, 
the book of Amos, and that back in that part of the Bible where the pages are all stuck together. Amos chapter number 2. The Lord in the prophets, of course, is often rebuking the nation for their unbelief and their idolatry and things of that nature. And I want you to notice what he says here. Verse number 11, he says, Amos 2, verse 11, And I raised up of your sons for prophets, and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? I, I gave you prophets and Nazarites. Now the Nazarites, those were those who had committed themselves to the Lord. They had taken a vow upon themselves. They had separated themselves from certain things of the world. They were, uh, they were not to have um, any fruit of the vine. They weren't to have any kind of alcohol uh, or even grapes. They were, they were to be separated. They were supposed to be distinct and, and different from the rest of the nation so that they could give themselves to the Lord. They were never to cut their hair. They were, they were committed to God. He says, I gave you prophets and Nazarites, but look at verse number 12. But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. He says, I made your sons, your young men, the hope of the future. You know, what, you know what Israel needed? Israel needed prophets. Israel needed people who could stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. Israel needed people who could call out their sin. And God provided them. And you know what happened? Their own parents tainted them. He said, I raised up of your children prophets. You said, prophesy not. I raised up of your young men, Nazarites. What did you do? You gave them wine to drink. You caused them to break the vow that they made to God. And by the way, this became a blight on the nation because the previous generation had actually become a stumbling block to the next generation and kept them from being what God wanted them to be. I don't want to be that to my children. I don't want to be the stumbling block that keeps them from being what God wants them to be. I want to be the one that encourages, encourages them and says, Son, if God's told you to prophesy, prophesy. In other words, if God's told you to preach, go preach. If God's told you to obey Him in this way, you follow His will. I, I, I'll be your biggest cheerleader. You know what parents are interested in today? Making sure that their children get a good education and that they're successful and that maybe they uh, succeed and excel in sports and, and make sure that they can throw that football and make sure that they play basketball and provide them with all of the opportunities that they can. Friend, I just want to tell you, they, those things are not going to matter in eternity. And most of those things don't really matter all that much today. I'm not against a good education, and I'm not against sports, and I'm not against any of those things. I just want to tell you, why are we not encouraging our kids and saying, you know what, give yourself all the time and effort you would put into learning how to, how to throw a basketball, dribble a basketball. All the time you'd put into that, why don't you put that into learning to serve God? All the, all the effort you put into trying to get into a good college, why don't you take some time and put your nose in this book? 
and get to know God. And the people who stand and listen, I, I, I've told you before, I never want to be the one that calls my children into ministry. I want God to do that. But, but I do want to say this, and by the way, to our young people here, not just my children, all of our young people, I have sat at high school graduations in Christian schools where there's 50 kids graduating and they go through and they talk about all the things that they're going to do and this one says I want to be an accountant and I want to be an engineer and I want to be a nurse and I want to be a lawyer I want to be all these things and never once hear someone say I want to give my life to the Lord I want to be a missionary. Listen, I don't know what God's called you to and if God hasn't called you to it don't do it but I want to challenge you why not say Lord here am I send me. Because all the things in this life are, are, are just not worthy. You can make all the money and you can, you can get all the fame and you can have all the success and you can have all the things that the world provides and someday you're going to die and leave everything behind and then you'll stand before God and give account for your life. Don't stand there with nothing to show for it. Be that arrow in the hand of a mighty man that's, that's launched out to serve the Lord and, and, and given. But listen, folks, we're in a battle and the children of the righteous are to be arrows in the hands of mighty men. Now listen, if God's called you to be an engineer or an accountant or a lawyer, you go do that, but do it for the glory of God. Do it to the best of your ability because you, you love God and you want to serve God. I'm just saying live for Him. He's put you here on this earth for a purpose. Live it. Give yourself to it. And parents... May we look at our children and say, I wonder how God's going to use this arrow. And Lord, how, how do you want me to train this child? One more place I want to show you, and then we're, we're going to close. Let's go back to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 13 Judges 13 and verse number 2, it says, And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. These are going to be Samson's parents. By the way, it's a fascinating study in Scripture. Look at all of the children who were born of women that were previously barren. Sarah had Isaac. Manoah's wife had Samson. Uh, Elizabeth had John the Baptist. Hannah had Samuel. Mary, not necessarily barren by the world standards, but had never been able to conceive the natural way. God gave her a son. Look at all of these examples and notice how each one of them was unique and special. God gave them for a specific purpose. So here there's this woman who was barren and bare not. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and uh, eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Look down to verse number 8. 
Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Look at verse number 12. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? Manoah, Samson's father, had something figured out. God's going to give us a son, and this son that he's giving us is for a very specific purpose. He's going to deliver Israel, but I have no idea how to raise him. Lord, would you teach me what to do? Parents, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If we want our children to be what God wants them to be, we need God. We need his help. We need his leadership. We need his wisdom. We need to be walking with him. Dads, if you don't have a walk with God, get one quick. Your children need someone to follow. Moms, if you don't know what it is to, to, to walk with God and to pray for your children, you better learn your kids don't just need a good dad and a good mom. They need godly parents who will teach them and train them and train them up in the way that they should, what? Go. The way that they should go. Send them out like arrows. The way that God wants them to go. Follow the Lord. Teach your children. How are you going to do that? Lord, I need you. I can try. I can use my wisdom. I can use my abilities. But except you build my house. We labor in vain that build it. Let's pray together. Father.